and uh, Denise on the piano and all the musicians. Thank you so much. We, of course, miss JT being with us uh, this morning. We, we certainly want to pray for him. Thank you, choir. And uh, I like singing about heaven, don't you? Because uh, if you belong to Christ, one day we're going to be there. And uh, we might as well sing about it and be happy about it on the way. Amen? So uh, that, was, that was good. Thank you so much. Do you know that today is Grandparents' Day? Did you know that? If you didn't know that, you might ought to call your grandparents when you get home and, uh, because they probably know and wish them a happy Grandparents' Day. I'm going to ask all the grandparents in the building to stand, if you would. Every grandparent stand all over the building. Look at all that wisdom. Let's give them all a hand. Amen. You may be seated. God bless you. God bless you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the grandparents today. We honor them. And we pray that they would share their wisdom with the next generation. The wisdom that comes from your word. Loving you, serving you, knowing your peace and joy in life. May they pass that on to the upcoming generations, we pray. Bless them today. We honor them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles uh, to uh, 1 Thessalonians and chapter 5. You see it on the screen there. The title of this series is Great Passages of the Epistles. The word epistle just means letters. Letters in the New Testament, written by New Testament prophets that were inspired by the Holy Spirit. They make up our New Testament, except for the Gospels and, uh, and the book of Revelation. Uh, the rest of the, uh, the, rest of the uh, part of our New Testament are, are epistles, letters. And uh, so I started in 1 Thessalonians on this series, and I can't seem to get out of it. I just keep staying there. And, uh, of course, Nick and I are, are uh, uh, preaching back and forth. Uh, he's preaching half the time, and I'm preaching half the time. And uh, so we're still in 1 Thessalonians and chapter uh, 5. I remind you that uh, on Paul's second missionary journey, the church of Thessalonica was founded. They were pagans. Chapter 1 tells us they turned from their idols to serve a true and living God. It was a beautiful thing. And uh, they came to Christ. And God delivered them from the wrath to come, from the punishment that is to come. And uh, so uh, Paul then was, was uh, because of persecution, left and traveled down uh, through Europe and ended up in Corinth and he was in Corinth a year and a half and it was there in Corinth that he wrote first and second Thessalonians and sent it back up to them and that's how we got this precious book now they were going through tremendous problems problems just like we go through sickness and and uh, romantic problems and problems with children and and health problems. They were going through all those problems too, but they were also going through severe persecution for being Christians in a pagan world. And, uh, and so in the midst of that, he writes to them and tells them to be joyous. And so let's pick it up again in, in those verses we've already covered. Look at verse 16. 
rejoice evermore. That is, all the time, in all circumstances, rejoice. Remember when we studied that word, it means to, to have the joy of the Lord all the time. The joy that comes from Christ himself. And then it says, pray without ceasing, like a hacking cough. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. This is the will of God. These three things, and everything else in here too is, but these three things he wants to emphasize to us, this is the will of God. And, uh, and then it says, quench not the Spirit. That is, let the Holy Spirit fill you, control you, and, and lead you and guide you. We've looked at those verses. If you remember, there are, there are 19 imperatives. An imperative is a command. Now, this is not a command like people think of you've got to keep a certain amount of commands in order to make it to heaven. Not at all. These are commands for people who are already on their, on their way to heaven. People who are redeemed. Now that you're redeemed, now that you're saved, this is the way you ought to live. So we have 18 imperatives or commands here. Eight of those have to do with, with our relationship to the Lord. Eight of them have to do with our relationship to each other. And three of them have to do with our relationship to the pastor. Now that's what we looked at three weeks ago. We started it. Today's part two of what we started three weeks ago. Now this is not a subject pastors like to preach on. Uh, but uh, it is a necessary subject. And uh, so I, I want to tell you right up front, I'm not, I'm not trying to get a raise in salary. I'm not trying to get you to be nicer to me than you already are. You're very good to me, and you've been good to me for 40 years, and I appreciate that. So there's nothing, there's no underlining or underlying problem. Uh, this is just the Word of God that needs to be preached. And in particular now, remember, we're in a season of transition at our church. Most of you know that. I guess maybe everybody here, maybe not everybody knows, but I'm planning on retiring in March. That's the plan. That's not concrete, but that's what we're looking at now. I'll retire in March. We took Pastor Nick on as assistant pastor back in March of this year. So he will have been with us a year, and the plan is that he will become the senior pastor. Of course, the church will have to vote on that, but that's the plan. And so we're in this transition. Now, Pastor Nick has done a tremendous job. We all love him, and, and he has done a great job. His wife, Hannah, is a wonderful, wonderful person. We all love her dearly. And uh, so we're, we're very pleased. It, it's, going, it's going great. But in a period of transition in churches, sometimes, well, all the time, Satan wants to get in and cause trouble and sometimes he can he can do that so we don't want that to happen and uh, and so did, do you know that I read an article this week that said that uh, in the USA there are 10,000 church splits a year wow we don't want that kind of thing do we and so, uh, again, th these are two verses here, just two verses that I think will, will help us and I think will be a blessing uh, to you. 
Well, now let's pick it up in verse 11 and look at the actual text. Verse 11 gives us those first two uh, imperatives regarding relationship with each other. It says, wherefore, comfort yourselves together, comfort each other, and edify or build up each other, even as also you do. He says, you're already doing it, but keep doing it. You can do it a little more, do it a little better, keep working at it, keep encouraging each other and building each other up. Then when we come to verse 12 and 13, that's the two verses on how to treat your pastor. It says, and we beseech you, brethren. By the way, he calls them brethren. You know, the Bible talks about the church as being a building. And when that building is complete, Jesus is coming back. Amen? And uh, he talks about the church as being a body. Everybody has their own function. Not everybody's a hand or an eye. Or we all have different functions to serve in the church. But the most common analogy of the church is a family. And when you use the word brethren, you're talking to brothers and sisters in Christ, in the family of God, in the family of the church. Sixty times Paul uses that word in the epistles that he wrote. And uh, in First and Second Thessalonians, he uses that word 27 times. That's an important word. We're family, aren't we? And so uh, it says, And we beseech you, brethren, brothers and sisters, family, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love, for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Pray with me. Father, thank you for our time together. Make it profitable for each of us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Back in, uh, I think it was March of this past year, Karen and I went to the Cove. Uh, the church had paid for uh, us to go two nights to the Cove. Uh, that's the Billy Graham place in... Uh, in uh, Asheville and uh, they had paid for it the year before when uh, we had our 50th wedding anniversary uh, and uh, and so we we really couldn't find time to do it until the next year so we went in March of this year and uh, we met some interesting people I mean it was just you ate with the same people every day so you got to know some people and so forth so there was this one couple that was there at our table he was an interesting guy. He was a really dedicated Christian. Uh, he was in a Methodist church. And uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but about 20% of Methodist churches have come out of the United Methodist denomination in the past few years. That's a big number. And they're coming out because of same-sex marriage and because of homosexuals and lesbians in the pulpit, pastoring churches. And uh, so the, a lot of the Methodist churches that are Bible-believing churches, they don't want to be a part of the United Methodists any longer, so they've pulled out. Well, this gentleman was telling us about their church had experienced that. And he was one of the men that helped facilitate it and so forth. And uh, the church voted pretty close to 100% to pull out of the denomination. And uh, they did, and the church was going well, and, and so forth. So he, we talked about that a lot. His job was, he went in, 
Let me say this here so I, in case I fail to say it later. Some church splits are good if they're based on theology and doctrine, like, pull, like them pulling out of the unbiblical denomination they were in. But most of the time, that's very rare, most of the time splits are over petty problems. But anyway, this, uh, they came out and it was, it was uh, good that they did. And, uh, but his job was, he was, owned a company where he went in and they, they bought out companies that were struggling or failing. And then they would restructure them, make them profitable again, and then turn around and sell them. So that was, that was his company, that's what he did. Interesting. So when he and I talked about retirement, he asked me if I was retired. I said, no, not yet. And we talked about that. And he said, when, when you retire, are you going to leave the church? And I said, well, no. Uh, Pastor Nick, uh, and I've discussed this on many occasions, and Pastor Nick would, would be fine with Karen and I staying and most of the congregation. At least they say that. <laughs> most of the congregation say they want us to stay. And, uh, and so we would love to stay because we've poured our whole life. Forty years of our lives been poured into this church, and we love everybody. And so I said, so we're planning on staying. And I was kind of happy about it, you know. Thought it was a good idea. He said in a minute, he said, Preacher, you ought not do that. He said, you ought to leave. I said, why? He said, well, you know, when we go in and buy out a failing business... First thing we do is fire the person who was in charge, the owner. I said, you mean to tell me if a man started a business and he was in that business for 40 years and now the business was struggling a little bit and you came in to buy him out or so-called help, the first thing you do is fire the man who started the business? He said, oh yeah, absolutely. First thing we do, fire that guy. We've got to get rid of him. Because it causes a conflict of who's in charge and so forth. Yeah, he told me a few other things. He said, he said, you ought to leave. So we were eating. We were at the dinner table. And so I was thinking about this. And so I, I said to him, I said, brother, I disagree with you. And here's the reason. One thing is, our church is not failing. And we don't need somebody to come in and rescue us. I'm just retiring, stepping down. And he said, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I said, even more importantly, a church is not a business. A church is a family. You know, in a family, when, when the dad figure has kindly led that family... And uh, through the years, when he gets a little older, and maybe some of his son of his or a, or a son-in-law steps up to kind of lead that family, you don't, you don't kick grandma and grandpa out of the family. You don't say, well, we're sorry, you're going to have to go find another family. <laughs> you know, you keep them around. <laughs> And, and you still love them, you know? 
So I think it's a good idea for y'all to keep me around. <laughs> me and Karen, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and still love us. And we're going to still love you. And we're, of course, going to serve under Pastor Nick. But you know, in a, in a transition, people have a lot of different opinions. And sometimes Satan can bring conflict. Well, I want us to think now about this passage and how it might help us in, in thinking about this transition. Look at verse 12 again. It says, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. By the way, the word admonish means to, to preach and teach and encourage and in, instruct and, uh, and notice it says, he labors among you. That word labor means to uh, labor to the point of fatigue. And so, uh, a, a pastor labors. Now, how do we know this is a pastor they're talking about? Well, we spent, three weeks ago, we spent quite a bit of time on that. Uh, in the Bible, there are three words for a pastor, and that's a bishop and a pastor and an elder. Three words, all referring to the same person, the pastor. In Baptist churches, we have chosen over the years, not just this church, but all Baptist churches have chosen, uh, prefer the word pastor. Some churches prefer the word bishop, and some elder in other denominations. But they all refer to the same person. Just like one person can be a father, he can be a son, he can be a brother, he can be a, a dad, and uh, so forth. So one person can have these different titles. So it's, it's the pastor that's being referred to here who is the leader in the church, or leaders if they're plural uh, pastors. So here are those three imperatives. Now look back at, up at your screen for a moment. In our relationship to our leaders, there is the first imperative. This is God's command. Know them which are over you in the Lord. Two, esteem them very highly in love. And three, be at peace among yourselves. Those are the three imperatives. Now, there's a lot of other good stuff in these two verses, but that's the three uh, in, uh, imperatives. Now let's look at some of the words. Here's the word to know. Know the, uh, who is over you in the Lord. It's a primary verb according to Strong. And it, uh, it means to know, to be aware of, to consider, to understand, to perceive. Zodiates, the great Greek scholar, uh, in his dictionary, defines it like this. With the idea of volition, to know and approve of. Hence, spoken of men, to care for and to take an interest in. And then... It's translated in different translations like this. To respect, to appreciate, and to honor. So God is saying, respect, honor, and appreciate uh, uh, your pastors in the church. I hope and pray that you will be as good to Nick in the next 40 years as you have been to me. And that you will give him double honor, as we looked at three weeks ago. Double honor means... Uh, a salary that honors him and then also an attitude of honor towards him double honor well uh, so no and then uh, the other word here is know the ones who are over those two words are the same word in the Greek to stand before in rank or to preside 
to rule, to be over. Zodiante says it like this, to place or stand uh, before or be set over uh, someone or some people with the meaning to be over, to preside, to rule. And it's translated in different translations like this. Uh, to uh, appreciate those who are over you, have charge over you, lead your leaders and those who have authority over you in the church. Now, uh, let me emphasize again. Have, being in charge and leading doesn't mean a person is a dictator and tells you how to think and tells you um, how to live your life. We all have different opinions on things. You, uh, uh, everybody doesn't have to be a Duke fan. <laughs> though it, it would make Pastor Nick happy. <laughs> not everybody has to be a Carolina fan. Uh, you know, not everybody. Uh, we don't have to agree on everything. Some people prefer contemporary music. Some people prefer the old hymn. Some people prefer... Uh, uh, Southern gospel, some prefer uh, bluegrass and so forth, uh, but those are preferences. And the pastor is, remember in 1 Peter 5, we looked at this together, the pastor is not to lord over the people, but he's to lead, the next verse says, by example. And so pastors are leaders in, in that sense, not as dictators. And then... Uh, we come to this word esteem. If you look at verse 13, it says, and to esteem them very highly in love. The word esteem means to, uh, to recognize their official uh, authority and to uh, count them uh, like you would count a, honor a judge or a governor or someone who has rule over you. Uh, Zodiati says to lead or to, uh, to go before. Uh, to lead the way. And then Zodiati speaks about this exact verse here, uh, to regard them as, uh, and very highly deserving of love. The, um, by the way, I, these definitions have been very much condensed. All of these words that I've been showing you in this study, uh, Strong's probably has uh, maybe two or three paragraphs on each word, and Zodiati's has three or four or five pages on each word. So these are condensed so we can look at them on a Sunday morning. And then uh, it's, a, it's a translated esteem or regard. And then we come to this phrase, be at peace. Again, all three of these words are one word in the Greek. It means to be or to act or live peacefully. To be at, to have or live in peace, to live peaceably. Uh, Zodiates, to make peace, be at peace, in the New Testament, metaphorically, to live in peace, to live in harmony and in accord. So again, we don't have to agree on every little thing, but we can be in accord. We can be in harmony with each other, and we can love each other, and uh, respect each other, and care for each other. That's the idea of, a, of what a church family does. And that's the way a biological family is supposed to operate as well. It uh, doesn't always operate that way, but it should. And a church doesn't always operate that way either, but it should. And then uh, the translation uh, uh, from, from other translations, 
be or live in peace, no quarrels, get, uh, get along among yourselves. So, here's what I would paraphrase uh, these three imperatives. What does it mean to know them which are over you in the Lord? It means to respect, appreciate, honor, and care for your leaders in the Lord. What does it mean to esteem them very highly? It means to show them great respect and great love. Esteem them highly in love. And then, this last one, be at peace among yourselves. I would paraphrase it like this. Get along with your leaders and with each other. No quarreling. Living in peace. So you put that all together and you have Pastor Paul's paraphrase. You didn't know I had one of those, did you? Pastor Paul's paraphrase would look like this. Respect, appreciate, honor, and care for your leaders in the Lord. Show them great respect and great love. Get along with your leaders and with each other. No quarreling, living in peace. And so, this is God's word to us. This is as much God's word as John 3.16 this is God's word. These are imperatives. These are for us to obey. Warren Wiersbe not only took the imperatives, but he also took the principles that were there as well about love and so forth. And he said this, Dr. Warren Wiersbe, he said it about, past, about your pastors, accept them, appreciate them, love them, and obey them. Five simple thoughts. And um, now, I spoke up front about 10,000 churches a year split. That's a great tragedy. It really is. I could tell you lots of stories. I remember one story I read some years ago. True story about a church. It was the, this was the kind of church who took on that attitude that they were right about everything and no one else was right about anything. You know, you've kind of seen Christians that are that way and even churches that are kind of that way. And so they were very strict on crossing every T and dotting every I and, and uh, everybody agree on everything. And so there, there became a, a debate on whether the word hallelujah should be pronounced hallelujah or hallelujah without the H. Well, this was not a... These were intelligent people. They knew that the, uh, the word hallelujah comes from the Hebrew. In the Old Testament, the word hallelujah without the H in front of it is a transliteration from that Hebrew word, hallelujah. And, uh, and it is actually, it was transliterated into the Greek and later translated, transliterated from the Latin, and it was hallelujah. Now, hallelujah is a compound word. Hallelujah means praise and celebration. Hallelujah is... Uh, the, the second word is Yah, which is a shortened form of Yahweh, God. So it means praise to God. 
So what does hallelujah mean? Exact same thing. It's the exact same word. It's just a different pronunciation of the exact same word. Their thoughts went like this. Well, since it originated with hallelujah, we ought to use hallelujah. But the other group thought, well, since we're New Testament believers, in the New Testament, uh, uh, it's hallelujah. And so people took sides. And the church split over the spelling of that word. Now, how ironic is that? You split over a word that means praise the Lord. <laughs> the people who cause problems and splits in churches, who can't have the peace like that speaks of, are people who don't have peace in their own hearts. Look again at verse 16. Rejoice evermore. Have the Lord's joy in every circumstance. In everything give thanks. And pray without ceasing. 17, 18, quench, quench not the spirit. That person that those three verses describe, that person has never split a church. They have never caused problems in the church. It's, it's the ones who have struggles in their own lives. I'm saying this because not every believer has peace in their heart. You, you can't really have peace with others in a deep way unless you have peace in your own heart. Jesus said this, My peace I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And, and, and let not your heart be troubled. His peace he gives to us. His peace. Look at uh, verse 24. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. The one who calls you to peace, if you'll let him, he'll give you that peace. The one who calls you to rejoice all the time, if you'll let him, he'll cause you to rejoice all the time. Be thankful. And, uh, and pray without ceasing. He will do it if you'll trust him. And so, uh, it's this attitude of peace in our heart is where it begins. Now, if you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior... You can't really have this kind of peace in your heart. I mean, you can be it. You know, you can have a little bit of peace where you're not fighting with everybody. But, uh, but you have to have Christ in your heart to have His peace. So be sure you've received Christ. If you don't have peace, maybe it's because you need to receive Christ. But many of God's people who are true believers really don't have any peace, ongoing peace. Look over in... Uh, uh, in James with me, if you would. I'm going to turn there, so you turn there too. James chapter 4. We'll jump in the middle of Pastor Nick's study. You know, he's going through the, the book of James, and he'll be back in that book next time he's here. And, of course, we're all praying for, for, uh, uh, for him and, and Hannah to get well quick. James chapter 4. This, this passage speaks about what I'm talking about. Look at verse 1. From whence or from where 
come wars. Now, we think of wars as one country against another country. That's not necessarily the idea here. This word can be translated feuds, discord, strife, uh, conflict. Now, he's not really speaking to the nations here. He's really speaking to Christians. So the wars he's thinking about are the conflicts or the conflicts in the hearts of believers and between this believer and that believer and between this part of the church and that part of the church and so forth. So listen to what he says. From whence cometh feuds and conflict and discord and fightings among you? Come they not even from your lust, that war or battle... There's a conflict in your members. That is, in your own heart, in your own life. There's conflict there. And it spills over into conflict with others. Notice it says, Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because you ask not. The word lust there, in, in the English language... 99% of the time we use the word lust, it means sexual desire. But um, in the Greek it doesn't mean, it can mean that, but it just means strong desire. So when you th think about a church split and a battle going on and a conflict, it's somebody who has a strong desire to get what they want. They want it their way, and they have a strong desire for that. <clears throat> and, they're, and they go to conflict for it. And so, and then you kill. Now, Jesus said if you hate, if you, you know, if you lust in your heart, you commit adultery in your heart. Uh, and you can also uh, hate someone. And, uh, and it's like uh, killing someone in your heart. This could be the killing of a marriage. It could be the killing of a local church or killing of somebody's testimony as well. Or it could mean literally to kill somebody. People who commit murder do it because they have a strong desire to get what they want and do it their way. Whether it's because of marriage problems or custody of children, <coughs> sometimes that leads to murder. If I get to where I can't talk, does that mean I have to stop preaching? <laughs> Look at, jump down to verse 6. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he said, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Oh, let's humble ourselves. Let's humble ourselves before our God and before each other and walk in humility. The next verse says, Submit yourselves therefore to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. I heard a preacher, I read a preacher where he said every now and then some people try to resist the devil before they submit to God and instead of the devil fleeing from them, he flies upon them. You've got to submit to God first. Then resist the devil. And you can draw near unto God, as this says. So that's the way in which we can have peace. Our, we can have, if we have peace ourselves, we can have peace in our families and peace in our, in our uh, church family. Uh, 
And Jesus is the giver of peace. I close with um, I close with another story. It's kind of funny and sad at the same time. Supposedly a true story about a small Baptist church in Mayfield, Kentucky. And um, it was a small church. They had, they had a pastor and they had two deacons. And the two deacons didn't always get along. And uh, so there was always a little bit of trouble and friction in the, in the church, you know. There's n- By the way, like I say, I'm not, I'm not preaching to, uh, to something between the lines. Our deacons get along great. And they get along great with the pastoral staff and trustees. We all get along great. No problem there. But in this church, there two deacons, and they didn't get along real well. And one Sunday, one of the deacons had a great idea. He put a, he put a peg in the back of the church for the pastor to hang his hat on. That was in the days when, when people wore hats all the time. Not caps like people do now, but hats. And so... Uh, the pastor was very pleased. He came in, he could hang his, for as soon as he came in the door, hang his hat on that peg. Well, the other deacon, when he heard about it and saw it, he said, I, I want to quote this for you because you'll think I'm making it up. He said, I dare you put a peg in the church wall without first consulting me. He was so angry. Well, they couldn't work it out between themselves. Eventually, people began to think, well, Deacon A, I, I, I see his point. It was okay to put a... It, it was just for the preacher to hang his hat on. But others <clears throat> said, began to take the side of Deacon B and said, well, it would, he could have let the other deacon know and they could have discussed it. And so... People begin to take sides over a peg. True story, supposedly. And uh, eventually, this church split over this peg. They both, one stayed in that building, another one went to another place, and they renamed their churches. But the community didn't use the name that they chose for themselves. The community instead called them Peg Baptist Church and Anti-Peg Baptist Church. Now again, the story is supposed to be true and the articles I've read say in that community today, Mayfield, Kentucky, in that community even though a generation has gone by, the local people still call those two churches Peg Baptist Church and Anti-Peg Baptist Church. The harm, when God's people can't get along, the harm just continues on and on, doesn't it? So let's get, let's get along. We've always got along great. Me saying these things makes it sound like we're not getting along well. But we are. We're getting along great. But let's continue to get along great. And let's continue to respect each other and love each other and care for each other. And just be aware that in a period of transition, Satan is looking for a foothold 
He's looking to get his foot in the door. And he will if we let him. Do you have peace in your heart? That's an important question this morning. Jesus wants us to have peace. But not all of us do. Would you bow your head with me please? And our heads are bowed and maybe you'd say, Preacher, I know I'm saved, no doubt about that. But I don't really have peace in my heart like I should. I want you to pray for me that I will learn even better to trust the Lord for His peace every day. If that's your prayer, would you slip your hand up all over the building, would you? Yes, God bless you. I see those, and I see those hands. And Yes, hands are all over. God bless you, each one. The Lord knows your heart. I wonder if you'd say this, Preacher, I've never received Christ into my heart. Pray for me. Would you let me pray for you? I'm not, would, no one will embarrass you or come to you. I just want to pray for you. Slip your hand up if you've never received Christ into your heart. Anyone? Anyone? Can't have his peace until you have the Prince of Peace come into your heart. Anyone? All right. Father, thank you for our time together. You've seen our hands today. We live in a world full of conflict. At work, on the news, in neighborhoods, in families. Conflict is everywhere. We need your peace. Teach us to trust you. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Teach us to just take that peace from you that you're offering to give and trust you to give it to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me, please.